This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We have a great episode for you today. Here talking to Fred Siegel, who's come out with a new book. Uh, it, it includes a lot of material from where you would know him best, Freezing Cold Takes, uh, his uh, Twitter handle, which is at Old Takes Exposed. Fred, thanks for joining us. Uh, talk about your new book. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Um, my new book is called Freezing Cold Takes NFL, and I don't know if you know the accounts, but um, I have a Twitter account and an Instagram account that's freezing cold takes at old takes exposed. And um, essentially, you just go back and take predictions that or analysis that were made 
prior to an event, and and if once that analysis turns wrong, uh, post it on Twitter. And it's uh, it's 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 that simple in concept, but um, there's specific types of analysis that I use, uh, predictions of games. It could be, or it could be, you know, just a draft analysis of somebody saying that this player is going to be great. He doesn't turn out to be great. Or this coach is going to be great. You hear that a lot from media because they are friends with the coaches. So, and they, uh, it, that, this coach is a home run hire and then he doesn't end up being a home run hire. He's fired up in two years. Those are specific. Those are like little examples of what it is. Um, and essentially the book is, uh, in much longer form, the same thing, but I go through different periods and moments and players in history where specific underlying sentiments were popular among the media and uh, a substantial amount of articles and tweets and quotes uh, about that specific topic and explore that. I also have a chapter on the draft where I just list multitudes of quotes um, and tweets from uh, media during and before players were drafted that turned out to be dead wrong like about players like Emmett Smith and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Gronk and Mahomes, Josh Allen. So um, it's, it's great. I mean, I have a whole chapter on the Ravens, uh, their first draft, 1996. We'll get to that a little later. I want to ask you about another quote first, but that's kind of, we're saving okay. that for the grand finale. Okay. Here. So, so I want to, I want to talk about one of these and, and this quote about Reggie White just is in a epitomizes how fertile a ground this is to be searching. But uh, there was a sports writer, I didn't see who, who actually said this, but you'll tell me. The Packers need Reggie White like a horse needs French lessons. <laughs> I saw that and I thought, that is Twitter in a nutshell. That is what people do on Twitter. They try and say clever things like that. And you can go back and now there's a, a permanent record of yeah. those things out there for you to take advantage of. Yeah, that was a guy by the name of Chuck Carlton. I actually spoke to him for the book. So he quotes, he, he talks about that. I quoted him in the book and had an interview with him. He was from uh, a newspaper called The Post Crescent. It was in Appleton, Wisconsin, solely covered the Packers. It was a, uh, a outside of Green Bay, probably an hour outside Green Bay. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, at the time, Reggie White was the big free agent, and he was the only free agent. Um, the only big free agent there was. This was the first free agency. It was 1993, uh, in March of 93, and they had just implemented unrestricted free agency. It just started. And Reggie White was the first guy. So Reggie White went on a tour, uh, even bigger than any college recruit that's ever gone on to schools, where he's gone, went to like five different, seven different, uh, teams and they all bought him gifts lavish lavish gifts because you didn't have to hide the gifts that you bought players unlike college (laughs) and uh (laughs) and and he and green bay was one of the teams that he was considering and um it was discussed because he was gonna he ended up getting a contract that was then very big but now seems like small potatoes but uh i think that some people really wanted him and others thought that he was too much money. And he was already, I guess, 33 years old, maybe. Yeah, he, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. So White was 32 for his first year in Green Bay, but he played eight years in the league. He had seven Pro Bowls and six All-Pros yeah. and 124 sacks. He'd averaged 15 and a half sacks per year for his first eight years and was on a free agent. And his first, and his, 
three years, his first three years, or first five years maybe, in Green Bay were just so dominant. He was so key to their Super Bowl run. And they're just their, their dynasty, mini dynasty, I guess it is, in general during those times in the 90s. Uh, and um, I, it, it's funny because nobody really knew what to expect in the free agency. It was new to everybody. So there were always going to be people who would be like, you cannot spend this much money on this player. You cannot do it. Back then, before that, there were players were stuck on their same team. So how much did you really have to go all out and pay them? Um, so it, it, I think people like this guy, but nobody's worth that much money. Yeah, it's, it is. It, you know, it was, it was an unusual shock to the system for football fans to have players moving around. And yeah. um, they instituted a franchise tag either then or shortly after. And yeah, the, they did the thought the franchise tag, yeah. Yeah, the thought was that it was going to go to franchise quarterbacks, keep the fan base happy, not have your favorite offensive players leave. And immediately teams knew exactly what to do with it. And they started sticking out offensive linemen and right. you know, being able to keep their keep them down in terms of, of how much value they were getting to those positions relative to the, the price they would have to pay. They knew that's where the real value was. Yep, yep. And quarterbacks um, who have great years. We still see it now. There's a great example of it in my book. I have a, an article. I do want an article from Greg Cody of the Miami Herald in 1993 where he suggested Dan Marino got hurt, like fourth game of the season, and Scott Mitchell came in as the backup quarterback, and he was good for like three games. And after those three games, Dan, I mean, uh, Greg Cody wrote an article in the Miami Herald to trade Dan Marino, keep Scott Mitchell. <laughs> and because Scott Mitchell was going to, because of those games, was going to get a big contract the next year because free agency just started. And he did. He went to the Lions, and for a boatload of money back then. So it was. It, 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 it's now either offensive line quarterbacks, anything like that. They're going to be spending all that money, um, and and the franchise tag. You're right about that. It's it's not an unreasonable proposition when somebody does it. It just happened to be dead wrong. And Scott Mitchell, famously, when the uh, NFL Network did their top yeah. ten left-handed quarterbacks of all time, so Scott Mitchell was number ten. The field was number nine, and then they had one through eight. <laughs> I mean, I personally think he gets a bad rap. He wasn't yeah. that bad. They treat it because he was a, bu- a bust in terms of the salary he got, and he wasn't as great as you know. He deserved in that money. People assume he was terrible, but he wasn't terrible. 95, he was actually very, very, very good, um, except in the playoffs he played horribly. And then that's really what people remember. He threw about 100 interceptions against the Eagles on that shitty offense of <laughs> turf. God, the worst turf, that, that veteran stadium turf. But, um, yeah. So, but he wasn't the, the, as the bad. Mitchell thing. Yeah, the the Ravens got the got the rifle butt end of that in 1999 because oh, Scott Mitchell only played two, yeah, two games for the Ravens, but he actually in that two, two game period managed to cost the Ravens a playoff spot that year. Very good defense. Uh, you know, and if they'd gone even Tony Banks the whole year could have probably guided them through. Yeah, that year, and that's that's and that's what, I mean when it came to 2000 with Tony Banks. And that's one of the ironic things about the article, too, about Tony Banks was being picked by the Rams. But in, uh, and we'll talk about that later. But Tony Banks in 2000 went back to being the Tony Banks who turned the ball over 100 times a game. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were just like, give it to Trent Dilfer. Dilfer, just don't screw up. 
You, you always yeah. want to have you. You love sometimes it's good to have the quarterback who knows the role, of not screwing up. And you see that with the University of Georgia this past year was a perfect example. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, it's a role quarterbacks are not eager to generally take, and and it's not something that keeps your job, as Trent Dilfer found out yeah. after two thousand. <laughs> yeah, you know, they went out and got Elvis Gerback, but yeah. he threw twelve touchdowns, eleven interceptions, and he's still the greatest backup quarterback the Ravens have ever had. <laughs> yeah, it's, of uh, It was of quite a season. <laughs> Uh, let's let's move on and talk a little bit about another huge trade, the Herschel Walker trade. Obviously, one of those in Ravens history. Uh, sorry, in, in NFL history, uh, that just had enormous waves that continued to ripple. Yeah, the that was an interesting story. I wrote about it in my book. It, there's there's just so much more to just the trade that caused all of this um, criticism towards Jimmy Johnson. Now there. To be fair, there were a lot of people who understood what he was doing and kind of got it. But then there were some people who didn't understand. And when Jimmy Johnson came to the Cowboys with Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones bought the Cowboys in 89, February, immediately fired Tom Landry. And Tom Landry was the beloved coach in the past. But he... They, they had fallen on hard times. He wasn't adapting. He, he was kind of in over his head with the new football and just uh, it was kind of washed, as they term, the term is used now. And, uh, but they fired him right away. And then everyone sort of got mad because they fired the coach. So they treated him poorly by firing him right away. So they automatically were mad at this guy, Jerry Jones. And he brought in his guy, Jimmy Johnson, who he knew from college and who was at University of Miami. And... Um, once they came in and, and they picked Troy Aikman, they started off so poorly. Uh, they were like, oh, and five. They were getting killed by everybody. And then he went ahead and traded his best player, which is Herschel Walker, mm-hmm. um, to the Vikings for about six or seven different draft picks, probably even more. It turned out to be like 10. And mm-hmm. people, that, and essentially what he was doing was, was tanking was a modern-day NBA-type tanking, what people do now. And uh, now people get it. But then, never happened. Yeah, you know what? Now people would get it on another level because running backs are you know, very replaceable, thought yeah. to be very replaceable. So let's talk about this, where Herschel Walker was in his career for a second before we get into some of the mm-hmm. hot takes associated with this. He's three and a half years into his his uh, contract with Dallas. So they're already, he's approaching free agency at that point. Actually, free agency hadn't come about, but but he was, he was getting older at age 27, had a 1,500-yard season there the year before, uh, had, had racked up only 246 yards in five games uh, during that season. But here's the point, is not signing running backs to a, great, to a second contract is a great starting philosophy for your, for your franchise. Trading a running back for whatever it was, six number one picks or whatever it ended up being, uh, is an even better full, a strategy for doing that. Now, they had were there three teams involved in that trade, or was it just a first and a second, like three years with the Vikings? It was with the Vikings. Well, what happened was, not just did he trade Herschel Walker, in return, he received all these drafts, but he also received four players, mediocre players, from the Vikings, mm-hmm. and if those players did not stay with Dallas, they got more draft picks. So, of course, he was going to cut most of those guys, but what the reporters saw was that this was the return. These four mediocre players, 
and all these draft picks. They didn't know what they were getting in advance. Now, other GMs were like, one GM, I forgot who it was. I think it may have been Casterly. was like, that what? It was the greatest trade I've ever seen. Like, like he knew as a GM, like, whoa. Uh, and uh, he knew what Jimmy Johnson did, but no one else could ever do it. They, they, I guess they didn't have Herschel Walker to do it. But uh, well, there had been two two times previously. I mean, this probably happened other times as well, because Bobby Beathard traded a lot of draft picks. But the George Allen Redskins would go into years and they would literally trade every single draft pick and <laughs> were happy to continue to right. build the over the hill gang of the early 70s that I kind of grew up with. And and then the, uh, uh, you know, Bobby Beathard's teams, of course, traded a lot of number one draft picks. That that was one thing he was really known for, even was mentioned at his Hall of Fame induction, which I thought was a, a kind of an interesting thing. Uh, but and then you had the famous Mike Ditka trade oh, everybody God. for Ricky Williams trade. So it's, it's like there was people did not understand or revere draft capital no. in the same manner back then. And you know what? By Based on the Herschel Walker trade. The Jimmy Johnson tra- chart is exactly what that thing should be called in yeah. terms of draft valuation. Yeah, and what Jimmy Johnson not only did with that, he took those draft picks and made them into like double the amount of draft picks. I think mm-hmm. in 1991, or it was 91 or 92, he had 18 picks. And what Jerry Jones said, he even said it in an article that I, I read, that Jerry Jones even quoted you just have a million draft picks. You pick a ton of guys, and a lot of them are going to turn out to be really good. And then your 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 margin of error is so much bigger. It's so much better. You know, like you have a much. You, now, if you have like four picks, you have such a small margin of error. If you have like eighteen picks, and that's what happened. They picked all these guys, and they they use they, they used the free agency before the, the Plan B free agency, and they got guys like Jay Novacek and stuff like that. Well, let's let's think about the Ravens and and what Eric DaCosta would do if he had three number ones, number one, number twelve, and number twenty. He had a number two. He had three number threes. He had one, two, three, four number fours. He actually had six this last year. A fifth, a sixth, a seventh, and then Leon Lett was a seventh round pick, by the way. Yeah. And then he had four guys left who are drafted in rounds nine through twelve. So the draft was a lot longer back then, but still. Imagine that kind of a haul, even 14 picks in seven rounds, uh, if, if you're Eric DaCosta and what you would be able to do with that in terms of, of, of building a franchise. Uh, just an absurd trade for Herschel Walker. An unbelievable return. Unbelievable. And then when Herschel, and then I, even, I cover in the book when Herschel Walker got to Minnesota, his first game, he ran for 150 yards or something in Minnesota. They were just loving it. And everyone was talking about the, how Herschel's going to lead them to the Super Bowl. But they didn't run that kind of offense. They didn't run the offense that, that fit Herschel. The offense, the, the, the general manager kind of just was like a square peg into a round hole. Like he kind of just told them, you're giving you Herschel. And then after a couple of games, they didn't even want to use him that much because they wanted to use their other offense. And he wasn't that kind of running back. They used to have like a, uh, a trapping, sweeping type back. And that's what Jimmy Johnson wanted. And he got Emmett Smith. In, in, in Dallas, he had been an enormous receiver. He had 232 receptions in, you know, three and a half years. It's just, that's, that's the kind of running back um, production we grew up with in Lytle Mitchell in Baltimore in terms of a guy who would, who would catch a lot of passes. He only caught 86 passes in three years for Minnesota, so they, they shaved him way back there. Yeah, if you look at his anyway, carries, he's probably thing. lower each game. 
Yeah, he's definitely lower in total in his in his Minnesota years. He's under 200 every year, and he was over 200. Uh, well, he's over 200 twice, 361 in his big year with Dallas. Yeah, the, the journalists did not get it at all. And they, they one of Randy Galloway uh, from Dallas, and I talked to him in the book. He he he's fine with it. He thinks it's funny. He's retired now, but he he wrote a he just absolutely crucified Jimmy Johnson after this trade. He wrote this whole entire article. Uh, they were fleeced. That's what good GMs do. They want to win. They you know, talked about the general manager for the uh, Vikings and. It, he was pleased that a couple of Vikings players like this is ridiculous. He even said it during right after the trade. They thought it was ridiculous. They were they they were down on it. But uh, once he the ran Vikings first, players were yeah one Vikings player for certain the tight end was completely down on the trade. But after the first game, everybody was so excited with Walker. I mean, the newscasts were going great. Everyone was running around saying Super Bowl. Um, Vern Lundquist was the, it was against the Packers. And uh, he had two touchdowns. I think he had 150 yards. He even had a big punt return. And Vern Lundquist said when, when he came back to return the kickoff uh, or the punt, one of the punts, he said, he's here. And Chuck Foreman was in the audience, the great sure. Vikings running back. And Vern Lundquist said, there's Chuck Foreman until today, <laughs> the best <laughs> running back the Vikings ever had. <laughs> wow that's a slap in the face <laughs> all right well let's move on to a topic i think will be near and dear to ravens fans hearts certainly is the intertwining history of the 1996 draft because because that is a there's a lot going on there and i think a lot of people want to reduce it to ogden and lewis but there's there's more names than that involved in this tell us your, your you have an entire chapter devoted to it oh yeah because it was a great chapter because it also included all the stuff about Lawrence Phillips. And Lawrence Phillips is clearly who Modell wanted. So mm-hmm. uh, the Ravens, I think, had what, the sixth pick or the fourth? Fourth. Fourth pick. Okay, the Ravens had the fourth pick. And going into the draft, Lawrence Phillips was the running back for Nebraska. He had been, um, after a game against Michigan State where he ran for 200 yards, he was a Heisman candidate. He ran for two, they beat Michigan State. Nebraska beat Michigan State. They were defending champs like 56 to nothing or something. It was Nick Saban's second game as Michigan State head coach. And right after that game, his ex girlfriend was in an apartment. They don't say what the people with, with in Scott Frost's apartment. Scott Frost was the backup quarterback in Nebraska. He's now the head coach in Nebraska. And Phillips ran in, grabbed her, and dragged her down the stairs. Um, by the hair and um, was obviously arrested. And then he was suspended by Tom Osborne for six, for, for indefinitely. And then um, throughout the season, he, they brought him back after like six games, which was very controversial because he had done all that. And he had also been arrested numerous times before that. So he, was, he, he didn't have the best track record in terms of character. And um, so, but, but against Florida in the national championship game, they won 62 62- 24, I think it was, and Phillips ran all over him. Tommy Frazier, the quarterback, ran all over him. So he he got back. It was a showcase for him. And um, so the big question was, was who's going to pick Phillips? And he's going to get picked in the first few rounds. And everyone's doing these tests, like these psychological tests on him and everything. Art Modell clearly wanted him. 
Yeah, I, I just want to point out the Modell connection here. Modell went to dinner with Phillips before yeah. the draft. Very unusual, the owner to go out with a player. They had a five-hour dinner together. Now think about this. How many times have you been on a date that lasted five hours where it wasn't going anywhere? Right. So you're, 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 you, you certainly expect that you know you spend this much time with a player. There's, there's, there's something. They're building a relationship through that. Yeah. They're, they're, it, it, there's a good chance he's going to get picked. Yeah, he really liked them. Yeah, and he really liked. Yeah, and he made the comments he makes afterwards is, um, and I don't know if they would have picked him, but when it came down to it, I mean, the first pick, I think the Ravens had the Ravens have no, no, no. I don't remember who had the first pick. It was Keyshawn Johnson, and then it came down to the, the third pick was the Cardinals, and the Cardinals yeah. were they drafted Simeon Rice. They drafted Simeon Rice, which was unexpected, completely unexpected. They thought. The Ravens thought the Cardinals were going to draft Ogden. Now, Ogden was a can't-miss prospect at the time, but he wasn't sexy, I guess, because he was an offensive lineman. I don't know, but he was a can't-miss prospect, and he had perfect character. He was like he even had great grades as a UCLA. So, um, uh, and he was the consensus number one offensive tackle in the draft. Um, and they picked Simeon Rice. So, at that point, the Ravens were like we got to get Ogden, and. Uh, I don't know if they would have picked Phillips fourth, but Art Modell was certainly pushing for them to pick Phillips. But I guess, you know, Ozzie Newsom convinced him, well, we have Ogden here. Let's get him. Uh, so they picked Ogden. And then the Saints ended up picking Phillips with the sixth, with the eighth pick, I think it was, or seventh pick. And, um, or the sixth pick, I don't know. But the St. Louis got Phillips at number six. St. Louis got Phillips at number six. So, mm-hmm. After the, like, what's his name went on? Uh, Joe, Joe Theismann went on air. He was the draft guy on ESPN draft. It was Mel Kuyper, Joe Theismann, and Chris Berman. Joe Theismann went in and said, you know, people make mistakes. It, it doesn't, it, you know, he, he was like, this is the perfect spot for him. I can't believe nobody picked you. <laughs> now, Mel Kuyper was against it. He's like, you can just pick Eddie George. You could pick uh, uh, later on. You could pick... You pick Marvin Harrison. He was take, he was naming all the right guys. He actually had a really good analysis about that. But um, what happened was, is that afterwards the they talked to the owner. The owner was the Georgia Frontieri, and she was just like, if he's if he helps the team, I don't care. <laughs> so. But but Art Modell after the draft said. Um, just went on and on about Phillips would have been a great citizen, and then he even he made some really regrettable comments about how the it was part, partially the woman's fault for breaking up with him. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> blatantly said it. Blatantly said it. Um, I'm not, I'm not, she doesn't get all, she doesn't get all the blame, but still, some of it, you know, this was her his love of his life. And it, <laughs> so, um, but the backlash at that time, now he got backlash from that. There were, there were columns written people getting mad but it was it blew over very shortly now if that happened now it would have been just a free-for-all he said he'd be dan snyder yeah Yeah. (laughs) it would be it would be terrible but uh he really liked the kid he really liked the kid and he really wanted him he thought he believed in him so i'm sure that uh philip let him down after all the things that happened to him afterwards but uh um go moving on two things yeah I want to just interject if I can here. There's two things I really like about that. Now, Modell, 
um, we did not get the best years of Art Modell in Baltimore. And I, I don't mean that in a really negative way. Obviously, this comment would be one thing that would be kind of a, a strike against him. But just the fact that he was involved so closely in the draft process, I'm not really crazy about. I like an owner, obviously, who, who stands back. I don't want to have Jerry Jones be the owner in Baltimore. Right. Modell did a bunch of great things for football in the 60s to get it started with TV and whatnot. But he was an older guy. And the one thing I do like, though, is that apparently there was enough sobriety in the room for the right people to say the right things to take Modell off his position. Yeah. So Ozzie Newsom was there. And of course, that's a lot of what you write about in your book is, is that this was really, you know, a huge moment in Ozzie Newsom's career. Oh yeah. Well, Ozzie Newsom was smart enough to pick what happened was, is that they had a great offensive tackle at the time. His name was Tony Jones. And, um, a lot of these other guys was an offensive tackle, or offensive guard. I think he was. No, he's, he's an offensive. He's, he's, he's a left tackle. tackle. He, was tackle he was a left yeah. tackle, and so was Ogden. So, I mean, the Cardinals justified Simeon Rice by saying, "Hey, um, they justified Simeon Rice by saying, hey, we, we already have one.' And they had Lomas Brown. We already have a tackle. But uh, Newsom was like, this guy's fucking awesome. Let's get him.' You know, <laughs> Ogden, he's so good. So they picked him and moved him to guard his first year, and. Uh, and then eventually Tony Jones left for free agency and they moved him over. But that's part of the reason why these journalists would give the not, – not just refusing to pick Lawrence Phillips, which they criticized, but they also criticized in their draft grades that they didn't – that he picked them. Where are they going to play Ogden? They picked him. Where are they going to play him? Well, that was the philosophy by Newsom. You picked the best guy. He was still, by the way, the AP Rookie of the Year, but it was the only season where he didn't make the Pro Bowl was that rookie year that he played at left guard. Tony Jones was quoted during the season, and Tony Jones was a good but not great left tackle is yeah. what I would say. And and, and he, he was he was quoted during the season as saying, hey, look, I know I'm only here for this year. Yeah. This, this kid is obviously going to take my <laughs> position next year. And and he, he had the he had the sobriety to understand it. But uh, yeah. that, uh, that 1996 Ravens team had some star players playing some unusual roles. Goals, uh, and it was it was part of the fun of that team, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But you want to g- talk more about Newsom or go on to uh, Ray well, Lewis? Well, no, Newsom. Newsom also did the same thing with Ray Lewis because they picked Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis was incredible in college, and I grew up in South Florida in Miami, and I watched him at that time. Um, he was amazing, and he was probably the best linebacker in college football at the time. But he was, I guess, he wasn't. He was six foot, maybe. Mm-hmm. That was it. And he was, he was a little bit l- lighter than the normal linebacker. So that cost him. That was it. That's really what cost him. And uh, he, got, he went down to the, sec- to the almost near the end of the first round. And they had another pick. That other pick was because of Belichick, I believe. Belichick traded to get Kyle Brady. Uh, oh, he wanted to get Kyle Brady. He traded... He traded a pick for the Browns. I don't remember who he picked, but he wanted Kyle Brady. And earlier, the year before, Belichick was the coach of the Browns. He traded the pick. Uh, he traded to get another pick for 96. So that was a trick. That was, They got that pick because of Belichick. And mm-hmm. um, they picked Ray Lewis. And he, he was getting criticized for not picking a running back. Because they, they, they only had five touchdowns the year before rushing from the, as the Browns. So Newsom was criticized because they picked Ray Lewis, and they—I think 
Bill Plasky said they should have picked Leland McElroy out of Texas A&M. I don't know what he did in college. I don't know what he did in the pros. But, uh, <laughs> it wasn't much. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the Rams picked Phillips, and the Rams picked Eddie Kinnison right before Marvin Harrison. Mm-hmm. And they picked Tony Banks in the second round. Tony Banks was a prospect based totally on size and intangibles. Not intangible, size and physical traits. He had a great arm and he had some escapability and he could throw it far and he was big. He was big. So Tony Banks was but he but his second year at Michigan State he had like fifteen interceptions and nine touchdowns. And and the the thing that Ravens fans will remember Tony Banks for, and, and this was true in his career at St. Louis all the more, was he he was a fumble waiting to happen oh, yeah, yeah. At, at at any given time. He had a fumble per game for a long time in his career, like the first 40, 40 games or so. I think he had twenty one fumbles his first year. Uh, that's a yeah, lot it, of freaking fumbles. Ninety six. I'll just I'll, I'll I'll mention this that the the Ravens and Rams played that year in one of the really great confluences of draft history and NFL history all coming through in a game. But the, the Ravens won that game thirty seven thirty one in overtime. Tony Banks fumbled three times, so they got what they expected out of that one. They got what they I get they would eventually get in a in a Ravens uniform some some number of years later. Uh, Ray Lewis was in the game, of course, but. Um, when they wanted to play goal line defense, they brought in a reserve linebacker for only three plays that entire game. Guy's name is Ed Sutter. I've had him <laughs> on this show before to talk about this game. Only thread three plays. Only played one play the previous week. All four of those plays, he stuffed the opposing running back at the one-yard line for no gain. Exactly. <laughs> And and the three times in this game were all Lawrence Phillips. It's on the second drive. All uh, it's on the second drive of the game, and uh, it solidified in many ways. The, the broadcast interestingly talks a lot about Phillips and and how much of a disappointment he'd been to them. He was averaging, I think, under three yards a carry at that point for the Rams. So they they weren't excited about who he was even that early. And a little sidetrack to that because he was getting stuffed at the line is that one of the things that was, the Rams were Rams got amazing scores for this draft for those three picks. And mm-hmm. one of the things that they included in that was the fact that they were able to trade Jerome Bettis, who didn't get along with the coach. He was he played his rookie year in, 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 for the Rams, and he didn't get along with the coach. And um, they traded him to the Steelers. And that was part of that. You were able to dump Bettis and get Phillips. And Bettis, <laughs> they could have used Bettis at the line there. Uh, at the one yard line at that time, but that was one of the one of the things that that uh, allowed the Rams to get such a good score. That was included in the package of their grade, their draft grade, which was ridiculously stupid. That's one of the points of the art of the chapter was to show how stupid draft grades are, um, because and especially the re- rationale, the reason why people do the draft grade. Who's who do they need? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to, to me, the, the, the first thing of a really good draft pick, the first thing I look at when I'm analyzing the draft after it is who went against need? Who picked a play? Yeah. Who picked a player at a position they didn't need? That team probably made a really good value pick there. Right, right. Right, yeah, exactly. Because they realize that this guy is supposed to be so good, but sometimes they overthink it. And they pick guys who are who don't who 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 they could have gotten around later, but uh, uh, I think maybe like or lower, like EJ Manuel is one of those guys. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, in, in a sense, though, Ogden was kind of a value pick because uh, because they didn't need a left right, tackle. Right, exactly. Mar- Marlon Humphrey, and then and then uh, uh, of course Kyle Hamilton this year. You know what? What do you need a safety for? You've got two safeties, well, right? Exactly. Got a chance to get it, one of the best players in football. You get them. People say that it's it's unbelievable. Now may, maybe with a quarterback, you, if you have a quarterback that you're paying twenty million dollars a year, it makes sense. But otherwise, <laughs> like why would you do that? Uh, not pick the great offensive lineman. He was there was not one draft analyst who did not call him a slam dunk. He was that good coming out, Ogden. He was guaranteed, like pretty much guaranteed, unless he was like a Mandarich. I have a chapter on Mandarich. Unless he was using steroids <laughs> like Mandarich was, which he probably wasn't. Yeah, good. That's, it's, it's a very entertaining read from start to finish. I want to ask you about, to relate one current topic that didn't make your book, and that's the recent silliness about Lamar Jackson and yep. the defensive coordinator who's been uh, anonymously quoted, which obviously that has some journalistic questions that go with that I uh, hate it. as yeah uh, talk a little bit about it well I love Lamar Jackson I I grew up here in South Florida and he's from Palm Beach County I live in Palm Beach County now he was really good then um, in college he reminded me a lot of Michael Vick in a sense that he could do anything and he can run around the field and make plays and throw the ball the same way kind of the same way I, I don't think he escaped the pocket as quickly but he, he usually, in college, he was very, 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 uh, he knew he could leave the pocket right away and just make plays. I, I, I think when he got to the NFL, he, he doesn't do it as much. I don't think he can. He'll probably get killed. Like, uh, anyone worried about him getting hurt for the Ravens? I, I mean, I, I, always a little bit hurt, yeah. but, but Lamar, the runner, it yeah. knows how to go down right. very effectively. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. So, but I think that it's a, it's a recency-based league. It's a re, it's a recency bias based league, and if you're not if you didn't win or you had if you didn't win a playoff game the year before, or if you haven't won, what's his record in the playoffs? Uh, probably one and three. One and three. That's it, right there. Can't win. So even Th- thirty-seven even and twelve regular season. Yeah, it doesn't one matter. One and three in the playoffs. Uh, it doesn't matter because that's what people do now. That's what people do. He's not a playoff quarterback. Or in the playoffs, they somehow change the defense to stop him. Uh, or like you know, like <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But I think. In this particular situation, here's a guy, uh, a defensive coordinator, who obviously doesn't like him. Now, but I, I kind of feel as if, like, it, it could be a defensive coordinator who you wouldn't think. And they're trying to make it sound like it's a guy like Jack Del Rio. Or Vic Fangio would yeah, be yeah. the one who yeah, run it. Right, right. I got a guy who you wouldn't expect. And trying to make it sound like people to think it's Jack Del Rio because of like, uh, you know, Jack Del Rio is the guy to hate now, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it sounds like that. Like someone who just has a petty dislike of him. Because you can't do that. You can't say he's going to be the MVP and then say he's not going to win the playoffs. That doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, if you do something long enough, like John Elway will tell you, if you do something really good long enough, there's a good chance eventually he'll break through. Uh, and you just got to get the right, it's got, you got to get the right matchups, the right timing. You know, like Pat, what's Patrick Mahomes in the last three playoffs? Like, I mean, he's had some last, his last playoff game, he wasn't very good. The Super Bowl, he wasn't very good. Why can't he win? I guess it's, people, it's, it's, it's like, it doesn't make any sense because, because he's won already. Right. Uh, 
Lamar hasn't won, so that's that's what it is. And this guy doesn't like him, so he's using it against him that he hasn't won in the playoffs. It doesn't make any sense how you could be this good in the regular season and not be good in the playoffs. Right. It's it, the the it's a lottery ticket system when you're in the playoffs for right. starters. First of all, you're always playing better teams in the playoffs. You're going to have a lower winning percentage in the playoffs than you do during the regular season just because of that. But but if you if you look at um, uh, you know. I'm sorry, I've lost my point here. That's yeah. really terrible, but I'm getting to be that age that this sometimes right, happens. Right. Um, but but anyway, you, you you know, not looking at the playoffs only is is very. Simple. I know what it was. Okay, so the, the, the early horrible years from 08 to 12, they had five very good teams. But the 2009 team, by Devoa, by by any number of other measures, by I'm an offensive line analyst. I look at that, and they, by far the best offensive line they had was 08, uh, sorry 09, and then 08 behind that. Um, th- their best team was in 09. Their second best team was probably the 08 team. Then the then the 10 and 11 teams are next in some order. The 2012 team is actually the worst of the five, and that's the one who got to the the mountain. Right, exactly. It, it just it's a lottery ticket system. Yeah, the 2012 team arguably shouldn't have won that game in Denver. I mean, it, it's like it's mm-hmm. like things happen that you get lucky. And Joe Flacco made a. I mean, Joe Flacco, but I guess before that was, I mean, what, what is Joe Flacco? He's pretty good, you know? But uh, after that game, he made what, a gazillion dollars. Everyone thought he was the, uh, one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. You have a couple of good throws, and that's it, you know? Um, Lamar Jackson's better than him. I, I wouldn't. Nobody would argue that. I don't think in Baltimore <laughs> right now. But 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 Flacco's remarkable run of the playoffs uh, in all years shouldn't be uh, reduced. He he was eleven and zero touchdowns right. and interceptions in that season. So that was he was the biggest reason why they why they were there. Right, right. But in in the playoffs, I guess you could take playoffs where the teams were better, and then you could take off playoffs where this specific playoffs, and you just it happened to work out for him. In this one right. and the other one it didn't and that's probably what's going to happen with jackson um they're not going to have they paid him yet no no they're going they're, to. they're still they're working on the contract yeah, yeah they're going to pay him a gazillion dollars it'll probably be as much as whatever the last contract was uh it'll be more than what murray's making and mm-hmm. um and because they wouldn't do that if they didn't think that he was capable of winning the playoffs and uh it just doesn't make any sense. Like it's going to happen one time or the other. It's not. Uh, it's not like he. 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 It's not like he's. It's not like quarterbacks get so much tighter in the playoffs. Like how much tighter yeah. can you possibly get? It doesn't make. I never I, thought that made any sense. I, I don't think it was ever a crumbling under the pressure yeah, thing. And I think and what it's, is it? They've always talked about it being a scheme thing, but Lamar is a, is very good under pressure. What is it like? The, the, they say you can't pass. I mean, I guess the main criticism is he's not that great of a passer in the pocket. Is that what it is? Because he's great at everything else. Yeah, uh, yeah can't, can't go outside the numbers. There's been so many things, but the problem is he keeps meeting the next level of of what he's needed to do, but the bar keeps getting raised in some other way. This year, one thing they're talking about in camp is, is back shoulder throws, and that's something he's added to the arsenal. But just the great thing about Lamar Jackson is he works with a quarterback guru offseason every year. Uh, you know, Kyler Murray has to have a, a, a contract point put in, a paragraph put in about you need to study for X hours per day Yeah, and, because the Cardinals don't trust him to do that. And, and, and Kyler Murray does seem like the type who is a, I mean, based on what you see from him, he seems like a type who has a lot of other things on his mind besides uh, being quarterback. Lamar Jackson has always been just a great kid. 
like, and he certainly doesn't care that much about the glory or getting commercials or endorsements that much. He seems just like a really great kid. He always was a great kid. In high school he was, and in college he was. Um, well, we really appreciate having him. Uh, Fred, I, I, I've got to call it here, but we really appreciate having you on the show. It's great stories. Uh, uh, once again, the book says Freezing Cold Takes NFL. Yeah, Freezing Cold Takes NFL. You can, go to my, you can look it up right online. It's going to be on Amazon.com. And then it also is on my Twitter feed, Adult Takes Exposed. You'll find it right there with a link to being able to buy the book. And it's got all sorts of chapters. It's got a chapter on uh, Bill Cower, how the Steelers media wanted to sack him. And I'm sure you guys don't like him very much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the Montana, Joe Montana, Steve Young, how they wanted to get rid of Steve Young very badly in San Francisco. And Joe Montana didn't make things better for him. Um, and st- a lot of stuff on the Patriots. Bill Belichick. Really entertaining read. It's one of these books you go through. It's like the, the, the Guinness Book of World Records or maybe the right. Book of Lists from a long time ago. It's just you, it's, you can read a little bit. You can read a lot. It's definitely the coffee table book for your man cave. And if you're out there and you have a, a doctor's office or a dentist's office or, or a uh, barber shop or whatever, have a copy of this book around because it'd be a good one to pick up for 15 minutes and read. It's great stuff. Uh, Fred, really appreciate having you on. Uh, other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short please hit me up with a DM on Twitter I'll get back to you very quickly again we're looking for 25-30 minute topics we can cover in uh, some depth uh, so they have to be kind of narrow Fred thanks again for coming on thanks so much I appreciate it it's great and we'll talk to you next time on film study This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.